0: It's been a blessing to take part in the Advent readings this month and just want to thank Phil and Kim for completing that for us. What a blessing that has been. What is God's kind of Christmas? Reflect on that for a moment. Is God's kind of Christmas merely the sentimentality of the baby, a baby, lying in a manger? Stephen Kratz, a pastor, was spot on when he said Christmas was actually a 33-year event. I like that because it is a 33-year event. Christian author and educator T.S. Rendell wrote this. In reading a biography, we never stop after having read about the birth and the early years. We keep on reading... Until we have read the entire account of the subject's life. However, unfortunately, many people today stop at the manger. They stop before they hear the rest of the story. In the early church, I think you figured this out now by studying the book of Acts, that they actually magnified the life, death, burial, and resurrection and ascension and actually did not even celebrate on the pages of scripture we don't see this they didn't even actually celebrate what we would call Christmas really that didn't come around to the fourth century after Christ you didn't even have the the title Christ Mass, Mass until the fourth century I say that to remind you that what is in the 33 years can't stop at Bethlehem you have to see it uh, a complete understanding of Christmas thus the title of the sermon is a complete Christmas one verse we can all handle one verse on Christmas Eve right you know I won't be short but one verse I will be shorter first Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 uh, was read for you notice first Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 great indeed we confess, is the mystery of godliness. Now let's stop for a moment. Godliness simply means, layman's terms, we can grasp, it means to let God centeredness permeate your entire thinking and way of life. So when we say godliness, that means that Christ is at the center of all of life, that God Almighty is at the center of all of life. And then it says, great is the mystery. That is not something that is unsolved unsolved, or something that is hidden that you can never find out. When Paul mentions that word to Timothy, great is the mystery of godliness. He's saying, let God permeate all of life. That's the godliness part. And when you see mystery, he's saying something was hidden in the past, but now it has finally been revealed. What is revealed? Well, the text tells us, he, meaning Jesus... Paul has been giving us the significance of the church in verse 14 and 15, if you read it later, or at some other point. But when you get to verse 16, he's now on the supremacy of Christ. Those are two important things, right? Significance of the church, supremacy of Christ, and here's what he says. Jesus was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, Believed on in the world and taken up to glory. Now that's a complete Christmas. Let me show you. First, the Son of God was manifested in the flesh. At Bethlehem, God dropped an anchor squarely in the middle of the main stream of history. A baby in a crib and wonder of wonders, that baby was God. You notice what it says. He was... Manifested, made visible for us. God was made visible for us. God became a man. At Bethlehem, He was made man. He that made man became man. The infinite entered into our time, space, continuum and was born in this world. After an eternity of planning. Just think about that for a moment. He was still only born in a barn. Kind of a despised place, uh, out in the byways and out away in a country town. The truth is, God is at home in barns, is He not? And despised places, people who will accommodate Him. Now, He's not opposed to palaces. It's just that people in palaces don't usually see their need for the Son of God. Think about the shepherds. they were on their way to Bethlehem for several hours, and the wise men were on their way uh, to Nazareth for a long time, several months. But the Son of God had been on his way to Bethlehem for all eternity. God manifested in the flesh. When Adam sinned in the garden, the Son of God had already packed his bags for Bethlehem. It's not an accident. It was for eternity, all of eternity. And what an awesome thing to consider that on that God-packed night, God reduced himself to the span of a woman's womb. God came to where we are. You know why? So that we can finally be where he is. That's why he did it. That's why he was manifested. The newborn baby of Bethlehem was the everlasting God of glory come down to earth. And aren't we thankful today on Christmas Eve that God built a bridge across the deep, dark, and wide chasm of our sin and came to us. He came to me when I could not come to Him. That's what He did for all of us. He came to us because we could not go to Him. Complete Christmas. Yes, He was manifested in the flesh, but it doesn't stop at Bethlehem. Number two the son of God died for our sins and was resurrected how do you see that in the passage the Bible says he was vindicated well that's terminology for the entire Christ event that he was born that he lived 33 years and never sinned and that he died for our sins but the grave could not hold him and he resurrected vindication is the authentication from the Father and the Spirit vindicated by the Spirit that what Jesus Christ did was totally uh, accepted by the Father and satisfied Him and actually covered our sin. You can't properly celebrate Christmas without realizing the cross of Christ in the midst of it all. If you remember, at back to Bethlehem, we had the manger scene. But we didn't stop there, did we? I even had people say, why can't we linger more with the lights on on the nativity? Because that, that just moves us, doesn't it? I and mean, we think about the sentimentality part. Will we quickly move you to his life, to his mock trial, to his crucifixion, and ultimately to the resurrection? Why do we do this? So that you understand why Christ come, came to this earth. He ultimately came to cover your sin. That's why he was born in Bethlehem. He was born in Bethlehem. Not for the sentimentality of the manger, but to die for our sins. That's why he came. Think of that covering. I read a little story years ago about this covering that relates extremely well to it. And you students that took finals this past week can relate to this. Here's a 10-year-old boy. He was sitting in his class and he was getting ready to take a test. He was very nervous and distraught over the possibility of maybe not completing the test, and the fact that it was going to be hard. He wanted to have a passing grade. And he suddenly, uncontrollably, wet his pants. He had on some dark trousers, and he hoped that uh, the evidence would not be seen with his mishap, with those dark trousers. However, when he looked down on the floor, guess what he saw? A telltale sign that it wasn't good. There was a puddle on the floor, underneath his pant leg, already sick with panic. He looked up just in time to see the teacher moving down the aisle. What would he do? I mean, everybody will see. Everybody will laugh. Kids can be mean in elementary school, right? Uh, and, And he wouldn't recover, he thought. What the boy didn't realize was at that very moment, a classmate of his, a little girl who sat behind him in the class, had moved over and grabbed a large goldfish bowl off the windowsill in the classroom and when she got alongside his feet she suddenly tripped and dropped that heavy bowl. It shattered on the floor and the water went everywhere broken glass and fish went flying everywhere across the room. Some of the water splashed up on the little boy's legs. He was rescued with evidence of his problem now covered by the water in the fishbowl, the boy had a rush of relief. No pun intended, right? Thank God. What a wonderful gift. My problem is covered. But it dawned on the little boy that you're not supposed to like girls. Nobody likes girls, right? If you're a 10-year-old boy. And he says to her sternly, What's wrong with you? Can't you hold anything? Can't you watch where you're going? And all the boys and girls kind of laughed at her and, The boy, he got his dignity back. Uh, The teacher took him to the gym room and he had a bag of clothes in there from sports activities and got to change his clothes. And At lunchtime, the little girl, even though the boy had his dignity, the little girl had to sit by herself. People kind of avoided her that day. She was a popular girl, but unfortunately on that day in an unforgiving society of elementary school, She just sat by herself. As the day went on, the little kid started on his way home. And he noticed that the little girl was walking in front of him. And he all of a sudden had this thought, this impulse. So he goes over to the little girl and he says to her, You know, I've been thinking about the incident and what happened all day, especially with that test. And what you did was not an accident, was it? And she says quietly, Yes, I did it on purpose. I knew, what, I knew what had happened to you. You see, I wet my pants once too. Now folks, that's an awesome gospel illustration. I don't care who you are. You know why? Because every one of us in this room, you have thoroughly wet your pants. <laughs> no, I'm not laughing. Because you've sinned against the king. And one of these days, your sin will be exposed. You can't get rid of it. No matter how much you try to get rid of it, you cannot get rid of sin. Thank God for the covering. Aren't you thankful that Jesus Christ covered us? Now get this. He's the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament. There's something called Yom Kippur. And that Kippur means covering. That's called the Day of Atonement, right? Where our sins are covered. In the Old Testament, they were covered from year to year with always that reminder Again, each year that the sins were not completely dealt with. Praise God. When Jesus Christ died for our sins, they were covered past, present, future, forever. We need to be so thankful that He took all of our blame, all of our shame, all of our guilt, and He has fully and finally and freely and forever covered our sins. Now I'm clean. Now He saw my hopeless situation and rescued me. Romans 4.25 says, He was delivered up for our sins sins think about the cross as a result of that full final settlement on Calvary the holy justice of God is satisfied he's propitiated and my sins are covered and I have fellowship with my father and that's why Jesus could say there is no way to the father except through me I'm the way the truth and the life and no man will ever come to the father except through me You can't go through a priest unless the priest is Jesus. You have no access to God at all unless you come through Jesus Christ. You have no salvation. There's no name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. Only one way, only one name. And His name is Jesus. And theologically, the resurrection was an absolute necessity. Thus, that's why the writer says, vindicated by the Spirit. A dead Savior is no Savior at all. Right? But the grave could not hold Him. He completed the transaction 100% by by being raised bodily from the grave. It's the resurrection that shows that Christ's payment was sufficient to save us from our sins. And it also demonstrated that the Son of God has power over death. So the Son of God was manifested in the flesh... He died and was resurrected. Let me hit a couple more real fast. The Son of God ascended into heaven. See it in the passage? Yes, He was a baby in a crib, but then He was a man on the cross. He had His body in a tomb, but now He's a king on the throne. And He'll be the king on the throne forever. He occupies that place of sovereignty that He occupied before He left heaven to come down to earth. That's why He said to the Father in John 17, Restore in Me the glory I had with you from... The beginning. So it says he he occupies this place of glory. The Bible also teaches us that the Son of God was proclaimed among the nations, beginning with his disciples. They took the gospel to the ends of the earth. Jesus said to them in Luke 24 the gospel must be preached to the ends of the earth. Uh, As far as I know, we're still alive, right? We're still breathing. So that gospel still must be preached to the nations. That's our responsibility. We're coming up on January 1. What better resolution than to say, God, I'm going to do my part in preaching the Word of God and the gospel to the nations. We make it our aim to do just that. And what God started with His first disciples, what Jesus said to them, Go therefore make disciples is still our call today to preach the Son of God among the nations. The Bible also tells us not, that He ascended to heaven. That's His place. That's His rule. He was proclaimed among the nations. But He's also the Son of God. He's the Son of God who is the King of the universe. The Scripture says He was taken up to glory. We're not here waiting on Him to become King this morning. He is King. He already rules. He already reigns. And the Bible says we're waiting until He makes all of His enemies His footstool. Right? That's exactly what our God is going to do. The One whose head was wreathed with a crown of thorns, now is wearing a diadem of sovereignty and glory, as the Bible tells us. You know, every day, you and I prove in a practical way how much we need the reign of Jesus over our lives. I'm just telling you, folks, I'm ruined and undone without Christ. And so are you. How much we need that King, our King, to be in heaven, in His seat of glory, ruling and reigning over us with His Lordship. So from the crib, to the cross, to the crypt to the crown. I sure pray that you will stop long enough this Christmas to adore Him for who He is. Understand the complete Christmas. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up to glory. The same gospel that people have believed on, that you believed on, in order for you to be saved, is the same gospel that we must preach to the ends of the earth so that others will believe. Perhaps you've never received Christ and trusted Him for salvation from sin and the gifts of eternal life. What must you do? Well, simply and honestly confess your sins directly to God. The one against whom you have sinned. You sinned against God, ladies and gentlemen. He said in the Word that if you will repent and turn to Jesus and trust Him and receive Him. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Receive Him. If you do this, this Christmas will actually be your first real one. We get the joy and privilege of this morning of taking part in a Lord's Supper service. And again, this is part of the Christ event. We, we know that Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of all the Old Testament. And on this night, in Mark chapter... Fourteen. Notice what Jesus does on this night. The Bible says, And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take this and eat it. It is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant. Right? New covenant in his blood. Not the covenant... Of the old that has been made obsolete. But the new covenant in his blood. A full covering for our sin. And the Bible says. It's poured out. For many. Truly I say to you. I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine. Until that day when I drink it new. In the kingdom of God. We have a a group of deacons. Up front. And they're going to help us serve you. And you say well what, what does that bread and that juice represent well in short terms the bread represents that perfect obedient life of the Lord Jesus Christ who came down to this earth to die in your stead to live a life you could never live take that perfect tree to the body to the tree of Calvary die in your in your for you in your place for your sins and to be resurrected bodily And not only bodily resurrect, but bodily ascend into heaven. And that's what the bread represents. Uh, The juice represents the blood of Christ that was poured out for our sins. You hold that up in a little while. Think about the fact that if you're saved, He covered all your sins. You're forgiven and on your way to heaven all because of Jesus. Amen. All right. The Bible says on that night, Jesus took the bread and when he had broken it and blessed it, he gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body that was broken for you. I hope you're thankful for Jesus' blood and righteousness. Takes away our sin. Gives us acceptability before the Father. That's why Jesus said, as often as you drink this cup, you do it in remembrance of him, knowing full well that not only did he come the first time, but he's coming again. And all of His glory, and praise God for that. Well, Merry Christmas, right? Amen. God bless each of you. I hope that you have a Christ-filled holiday season. I know it's, it has begun today, carry all the way through the new year, but I love my church family, appreciate each one of you. I know Chris would echo the same sentiments, and God bless each of, each of you, and thank you for being here. If you don't know Christ... Just because we didn't have an official invitation doesn't mean that the God of eternity will go away. He won't go away, okay? You can stiff arm any of us, staff, church members, and we'll tell you about how you can know Christ. So please make sure uh, that uh, you seek Him while He may be found.